Sunset Lake CBD is a majority employee-owned hemp farm located right outside of Burlington, Vermont. Before they started growing hemp, Sunset Lake Farms produced cream for Ben & Jerry's. Sunset Lake CBD doesn't use any pesticides or herbicides to grow any of its hemp plants, and they use organic fertilizer and other sustainable farming techniques to ensure the long-term health of the soil and to minimize their carbon footprint. So like all of us, my days are really stressful. By the end of the night, my kids are in bed, I'm taking a minute to chill, but I'm still unwinding. I recently started using the Relax Gummies infused with CBD isolate, reishi mushroom extract, and ashwagandha root extract. I'm really glad I tried these because they really helped me get ready for a good night of sleep, and I really think I sleep better, so I'd highly recommend it. So check out Sunset Lake CBD today at sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. That's sunsetlakecbd.com and use the code HFPOD for 20% off your order. Farmer-owned, Vermont-grown, Sunset Lake CBD. Hey everyone, it's Cam Hurt, host of the Best Show Ever podcast, and we have got a second season coming out very soon that I am very excited about. We've got some very cool special guests, including musical acts that we all love, like Karina Reichman, Daniel Donato, Jake Brownstein from Eggy, Rick and Peter from Goose, and many more. Tune in for new episodes dropping on Osiris Media March 5th on the Best Show Ever podcast. Hey listeners. I want to tell you about a sponsor, Music Masters Collective. They're a nonprofit organization that produces unique music events, providing opportunities for fans and artists to meet and collaborate in an inspired and creative atmosphere. Every week, they host different events, all with the opportunity to learn from world-class musicians like Oteil Burbridge, Trouble No More, former members of the band, Milk Carton Kids, Nikki Glaspie, Bill Frizzell, Sean Colvin, and many more. This June, join the Fab Faux, Joan Osborne, John Sebastian, Marshall Crenshaw, and a great group of faculty for the debut of Magical Mystery Camp. This all-inclusive, once-in-a-lifetime music vacation experience in the heart of the Catskills will be packed with nightly performances, workshops, speakers, song circles, open mics, and a lot more. If you're a performing musician at any level, bring your instrument. If you're a music lover, bring your good spirit. It's an amazing experience for individuals, friends, and couples alike. Registration is open, spots are filling up, so check it out soon. And scholarships are available. Check out magicalmysterycamp.com slash helpingfriendly to learn more. Hey everyone, this is the Helping Friendly Podcast. This is episode 42. Um, we're excited to be talking about the Dicks 2014 run that just ended last week, joined by by a bunch of guests. Um, I think everyone's been on before except you, Jim, so why don't you start and introduce yourself? Hey, I'm Jim Biviano at Fly Fishing, and uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, man, it's been a long time coming. Uh, hi, I'm Dave Calarco. Um, 
I write Mr. Miner's Fish Thoughts, and I'm excited to be back as well. My name is Andy Greenberg. I uh, write uh, essays occasionally with Zach Cohen and sometimes on my own, but a uh, big fish fan and uh, dentist. <laughs> at, at Andrew underscore Greenberg? Uh, yeah, Andy, Andrew. Uh, no, it's Andy underscore. Andy underscore, underscore Greenberg. Okay. Zach? I am Zach Cohen. I am Fish Jesus, and <laughs> that's basically it. Um, all right, guys. Thanks for joining. Um, this is a, a long time in the making, so thanks for taking time. And um, awesome to hang out with with all of you, or almost all of you, uh, last weekend at Dick's. Um, so, what'd you guys think, just overall, of the? It was my first time being there, um, first time in the, at the venue and seeing them there. Um, I thought it was a pretty pretty special place. But what? Why don't you go around? Anyone have thoughts about the weekend overall, impressions, music, and and otherwise? I kind of went into the weekend questioning how it would be, to be honest with you, um, based on how the back half of summer had been. And, uh, you know, I was pleasantly surprised to see um, Trey kind of come back into the mix up front and, and kind of at the helm, like uh, we're, con- we're used to him. And, um I thought they really put together three pretty solid shows, all told. Yeah, I've, I've listened back a few times, and there's a, you know, there may not be that many like super all-time keepers, but you know, I thought the I thought the run was was super solid all the way through. Jim, Jim, what about you? Any thoughts to add to Dave's or just your own impressions of your, being a hometown hometown run for you? Yeah, I, you know, Dix is becoming without a doubt known as something that's synonymous with fish these days. I mean, New Year's Eve, Halloween, dicks, I don't know. And that vibe, just, it, it, it just, when the music matches the vibe, it's, it's, it's perfection in my mind. Um, I don't know if it's like the big wide floor, if it's just the sound super solid that everyone's stoked to be in the mountains. And, um, you know, I just found myself like surrounded by people absolutely blissing out all weekend. And, to me, that's 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 what I go for. <laughs> yep. Um, Zach or Andy, what about you guys? Um, I went into it uh, a little bit, a little bit different perspective than Dave, but kind of similar. I um, the last three shows of the tour, I really enjoyed, but I, I I definitely recognize what he's saying that that Trey was a little bit less out front, um, which I I don't know. I mean, I guess I guess some some people online have mentioned that it was a process of of creating room for Trey to step back up front, and I think that that probably is somewhat true. Um, I definitely think that um, the Dix run pretty much right off the bat. It seemed like he had stepped right back up. It seemed like he was pretty much just on on fire. Dave said, you know, what, the fish that we're used to, and I think that, that he makes a good point there, that traditionally fish has been very led by Trey, and um, we did see, I think, a little bit of, of him stepping back a little bit, and for a lot of people over a lot of times, that's been a big issue. It's It's been a lot, a big issue, but yeah, go ahead, uh, Dave. Sure. Yeah, um, I just want to clarify something that, um, you know, I've, I've said, and I don't think that, like, it's an issue if Trey's not up front, you know. If he's being very creative with his rhythm playing, you can leave from back there as well. You don't have to be soloing all the time. You don't have to be peaking jams all the time to be leading the band in one way or another. But I just felt in the second half of summer, and, you know, you guys can respond to this as you will, but I just thought his rhythm playing was, like, very, very far short of creative. Like, he was almost like a 
like a jazz comping player that he was kind of like, you know, working rhythm licks in a way that he was supporting the other players. But at the same time, they were so far removed from being at a point of needing to lead a jam in that way. And then when Trey refused to kind of come out of that role for like the past two weeks, the last two weeks of tour, I just felt that there was a consistency of jams like falling short of potential. And I just thought that like it was, it was different than Trey playing rhythm as he normally does. Cause I'm the first one to say that, you know, fish can actually be better when he's playing rhythm, but it just wasn't that type of dynamic. Mm-hmm. That's fair. I, I mean, I guess to me the it, what Dick's in contrast to the summer, it seems so much more, um, they seem so much more relaxed and so much more like fluid in their playing that it almost was like less hard hitting than some of the early summer jams, but but flowed better and had better chemistry. Um, I'm not sure how else to explain it. Maybe it's because I was there and the vibe in, in Denver and at Dick's was just chill. But um, I, I definitely noticed that too. And I, I, I personally kind of felt the same thing at the last three shows of the tour. I felt like they were that they were all really relaxed and it was kind of more of a, you know what, screw, screw it all. Let's, let's just have a good time and play good music. Like I felt like they were being a little bit less... Um, maybe analytical and it may have been what they've been doing in practice or the way that they've been talking to each other. But I, I do think that, that, that there was a certain relaxation and it may have been uh, a reaction uh, to, to what Dave was noticing. Maybe, you know, Trey was stepping back and nobody else was stepping up and there was a lot of that. And it was like, you know, I really felt like this big, um, yeah, Zach, just say, <laughs> I really felt this big sort of uh, void uh, appear in certain ways and then become filled later. So the narrative arc of it to me was uh, was was consistent from the end of the tour to that with that with that kind of relaxed factor. But yeah, go ahead, Zach. Without getting into those specific debates, I think I think everyone's making really good points, and I see the truth of all of them. I mean, I, I think that overall the weekend, I've been at the last three dicks. I missed eleven, but I, my first show at dicks was fuck your face. Um, I I really liked. Uh, how the setlist prank was only the first set, and I think it really set a good tone. It was like, okay, here's your, here's our prank. It was cute. It was funny. Whether it was a Rolling Stone or more of a combination of Lushington jokes, but then it was like, okay, let's get down to business. It wasn't the whole show, and I thought that was a. They're kind of signaling that they're going to change things up, um, particularly with some of the controversy or just news that maybe at Halloween they won't do a cover or they'll do something else. I don't know if that's just misdirection at this point. I don't think it matters. Um, I mean, it'll matter, you know, on, on November 1st. But I thought that that just kind of set the tone. It's like, well, we're going to do the set list prank, but we're going to do it in the first set. And the second set, like, back to just kind of crushing, um, or at least trying to. I think the, the simple ghost, um, you know, anyway, without getting into specifics, I, I just say that I had a I had perfect perfect weekend. I thought it was... Three seamless shows. I felt there was a, a good linear build. Um, you know, I, I, I think the vibe was better. The sound was an issue for me this year, as it wasn't the last two years. Um, I'm someone who moves around a lot. Um, but other than that, it was just about um, a perfect a perfect weekend. Um, you know, uh, it, it's a tough thing with expectations. We all have them. Um and um, uh, but other than that, in terms of the weather, it was it was kind of cool two of the nights, and I think that adds a lot to it. I remember being pretty hot last year, even even at nine or ten o'clock. So you know, just kind of prime peaking weather, and band delivered, and nobody got hurt, and we all had fun. There was certainly a lot of excitement for people coming out from out of town. That Colorado and Denver is now kind of the 
epicenter of the, the, the cannabis legalization movement and industry, and it just permeated. And I don't mean that everyone had great weed. Of course they did. They had that last year, but there was just a, a relaxation that I think, you know, it was just a narrative. Last year, Paige said legalize it. They did. Fish is back. Yeah, I feel like they've been blessing Colorado for four years now. Um, I also just think over 13, which was a, um, a not as great uh, run compared to 11 and 12, in my opinion, um, I thought that they, like, kind of used the weekend to kind of reassert their, their dominance and their, their, their musical, um, uh, uh, you know, upward trajectory at Dick's. This was a really good weekend that, that like got them back to the, to the, to the fuck your face kind of trend of greatness. I mean, I, I'm not going to say that the jams approached that. Um, but I think some of them did actually. I mean, in terms of a three night run, I'd, I'd say it was second only to 2012. And, and, and I was thrilled with that kind of return to form. Right. One other point I wanted to make about the weekend was, and Dave, you started down this route, was that I was fucking thrilled with Trace playing all weekend. I felt like he had some, some cock rock ego moments where I was like, oh, my God, he's, he's back to form. And so some of the, like, the proof points I see behind that is, is really just like Trace command of his pedals and his effects, and especially the echoplex. I mean, when, when, when Trey's getting down with the Echoplex, and I first really noticed it in MSG um, this last year, it just creates, it sets off a whole different vibe. And the rest of the band, especially Paige, just really uses that space, right, with him essentially playing mm-hmm. so far back that it creates great things. And, and, and that was something I was thrilled seeing throughout the weekend. Well, let's get into that and listen to some of this. Um, the first one... Um Jim, do you want to talk about the first uh, pick from the first night? We're going to start with night one, of course. One important note about Simple, I've, I've got a, a special love affair with Simple, and it really goes back to the fact that my first tour, fall of 96, happened to feature a lot of really uh, special Simples. And so it kind of just personally took me back to that Nubian time in my life, and I'm the first to admit I was the greatest noob you've ever met, right? <laughs> like 18 years old. Like, ah. Anyways, and so like um, I went back over this last week and kind of re-listened to some of those like um, seminal simple jams from that tour, and um, you know to truly kind of reference what a great simple can be. Like my first show was in Charlotte, and there happened to be a, a phenomenal simple that night on 102696. Uh, Memphis on the 18th of November was another big one. And though a little bit shorter, I thought the Vegas one in 96 was, was, was a really shining example of what, uh, you know, some real type two improv could blossom from, from simple. And so to talk about this simple, um, I kind of heard three or four distinct themes when, when the jam went type two in this simple. And I'd say that kind of that, that second pivot came in around that 840 moment. And like Trey comes in with this low register growl and it's, it, it, everyone takes notice to that deep register. Right. Um, um, and then around that, that 12 minute mark, uh, here come the, you know, what I like to call the victory chords, those major chord kind of everyone's really, you know, kind of feeling that bliss sound and reminded me of like the Carini of, on Halloween, maybe even the Down with Disease on the 29th at MSG. Uh, and the place just went absolutely berserk. Um, gosh, uh, kind of towards the end, and, and this is something we're going to want to talk about after we listen to the track, I'm sure. Maybe the most interesting part of the song was 
that page kind of clav led funk kind of plinko breakdown around that almost 15 minute mark and um there's probably one more theme that emerges at the end but those two sections to me are just what makes this simple phenomenal all right let's listen to a little bit of it and um come back and and chat a bit more
Um, sorry, it's so that simple. I don't know. There's a lot to say. I have nothing to say. It's too much. But Jim, you started. Um, you started. Zach, do you want to add to to this? Yeah, I would. I mean, when Jim kind of introduced the simple, um, and of course, I mean, I, I hope you know people don't miss that the last portion of that simple, which is this really thick funk jam. That's really one of the one of the freshest things from the weekend too. Just super tight and 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 just. Um, I, I left the weekend, and there were times in, in in within jam, some of the best jams from the weekend, where I felt like Fish was had this like vintage sound, like the Wolfman's from Sunday night, Simple from Friday night, um, the Carini from Saturday night, and and I think maybe even the the Mikes from Sunday night, um, where like at the same time, and only Fish can do this. They were almost like tone for tone, sound for sound, space for space, like appropriating their 90, their best 95 and best 97 selves. And yet, and yet it, it was so fresh and so new. Um, and I think that, that that kind of this vintage sound and yet this kind of newness, this kind of unabashed freshness, um, you know, that, that Dave was, was, was waiting for towards the end of the summer was like right there, and uh, I just I just think that that's it's so worth noticing. It's just something I felt I probably would have to write about it to really truly articulate it. But no, we have a word for that actually. My friends and I call that like the crystallization of an era. Like that was like the crystallization of like a '96 simple mixed with like at the second part like a '97 funk vibe. But it's like mm-hmm. refined, matured, and it's refreshed. But it's absolutely uh, you know referencing that. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, that was like Trey's awakening, man. Like he he did not play like that, you know, since Randall's Island, and I don't know that he played that powerfully at Randall's Island. But I'm just saying that like it had been a long time since we heard Trey like step up and like let loose like that, and it was just really set the tone for the weekend because that's the way he played for the resurrection, and uh, it was just you know that simple is. If we're looking at it from if we're looking at dicks from a more macro perspective, like that's certainly like the all-time jam that they dropped. Like you know, the second night was all about like playing super tight jams for a long period of time, but like none of them, you know, that was the jam of the weekend for sure. That shit is uh, that's a special that's a special. To me, I think what happened there is like he finally became comfortable with this new guitar sound, probably, and he started to play in a really relaxed way. Where he was, um, it was kind of more of like the noodly trace. Almost, it started out being that kind of repetitive phrase more than he's been doing lately. And to me, that made it really vintage. Plus, the kind of phrase that he was playing. And then when you couple that together with the other members, like making the kinds of changes that they've been making recently, it was like, holy shit, man! Now we can like combine this and this and this. And 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 yeah, yeah I think it was like a. It seemed to me like they were soaring through the ages almost. Like. It was like, oh, here we are there, and here we are there, and there, and there, and it was just fucking crazy being there, because you didn't feel like you were staying still at all. I mean, I felt like I was flying all over the universe, Fish's universe. <laughs> that was more more than I have in a long time, and I fucking loved it, man. It was really good. Awesome. I want to say one thing about, um, even though Gaiuti is all composed and all that, I thought the first set, Gaiuti, I thought, yeah, it's not perfect either, but they were confident going into it, and you could hear it, and I and I... I think that's when I turned to Andy and I was just like, dude, I think he's really on. Like, I think he's feeling it, you know? And it was, you know, all the things combined and everybody seeing each other at Dick's. But um, I think that it kind of, 
as Dave said, kind of crystallized through that simple where you could see he was confident, he was coming back, um, and he he felt his sound and his his the band knew it. You know, when the other when the other boys know that Trey's on, they they take it up a notch too. It's an interesting point about first sets. I mean, I think we've um, I've definitely exchanged tweets with Dave about this, but you know, I I I loved all three first sets. I really like first sets. I think they. Do I mean it's nice for like when I'm there with my wife who likes to hear lots of you know good songs, but it's also there's they set it sets the table for what they can do in the second set often not always but um, it's interesting Brad and I we've talked about that before when they play Gaiuti or Rift um, or other more technical songs and they actually nail them it's yeah. like it usually portends good things to come you know um, and that's a good point about the Gaiuti I don't know if you guys agreed for this weekend but that was um, I had as much fun during the first sets as the second sets. I, I loved it, man. That st- that stash, the third song, fucking mm. blew me away, man. I think right. I mean, Llama was great. Undermine was pretty short, but when they got that stash jam, I I really got the feeling that they were there to to lay down some serious shit. Like that. That was when I was pretty much first hooked. And uh, and uh, yeah, Gaiuti. I mean, that's a hell of a litmus, right? I mean, if mm, it's yeah. it's usually possum, how often do you get a Gaiuti these days to check it out? Listen to this ghost from Friday night.
You know, I didn't think it was a, a top-tier ghost, but I think it it kind of points back to the simple that they were they were really comfortable. Trey was finally comfortable with his his tone. Um, I, it, there was that familiar, familiar Trey riff at the beginning of that little that clip we played, and I was afraid it was going to be a more familiar ghost. But I I, I thought uh, once once it got to the the peak and the pre-peak, um, or the the come and the pre-come, I guess um, it was. Uh, <laughs> it was different, man. It took us off. You know, it took us off. First, I was thrilled that they had the gag. I honestly did not believe we were going to get another. And so it was tastefully done, right? It was one set. It wasn't 15 songs, um, you know, which is set back last year's uh, gag, for example. Um, and, you know, as it was kind of unfolding, by the time Stash it, people were like, Lust, Lust. oh, they're definitely spelling something. And then personally, it's so weird. I had this like vision of like fan art, fan art Pete's head exploding, and then I realized it was like Lushington, and it was like uh, that was kind of a cool moment. Yep. And then when um, uh, Fishman comes out for I didn't know, he's swinging the vacuum hose around like this is tough. <laughs> that was that was tasteful. That was that was beautiful. <laughs> uh, we talked about the Gaiuti. I'm still meh. But on Gaiuti forever, but you know, yeah, people stop that you're stoked about it, right? Um, and you know, I think like you know, the whole you asked for it, we delivered. If that was a reference to the Rolling Stone vote, where Washington was voted on Rolling Stone, like what they're fish fans, greatest song of all time, and then ha ha ha, not playing it, like Trey fucking trolled us, he trolled yeah, us yeah. so hard, so mm-hmm. good. Everyone wins one set, the gag's over, perfect. Susie with horns. Susie with horns. Was I was I was in the I was in the bathroom during Susie with horns and I was oh, then wow. I just cried. Um, so oh, <laughs> leave you with a, a clip from the hood from night one um, because it's awesome. What is a city without its music? The legacy of the New York Philharmonic is incredible. Nearly two centuries of history. That's a lot of music and a lot of stories. I was sitting on stage for the very first time, thinking. I can't quite believe this is happening. Join me, Jamie Bernstein, as we explore the history of the New York Philharmonic. It's the NY Phil story made in New York, a podcast about a city, its people, and their orchestra. Listen wherever you get podcasts.
Alright, so guys, let's move to night two. Um, I was going to play a quick clip of the... Um, the end of wing the end of wingsuit jam into the beginning of Bowie just because I think it was like the kind of transition I was waiting for from wingsuit. suit into something transition i've been waiting to hear and we were waiting for bowie the, the whole night brad and i were um to end that and that set um i don't know what do you guys think of that combo and and sort of how they've been maybe how they've been using combos with the new songs um generally i dug it i, I kind of thought that uh that was the moment that the uh the show really kind of clicked and turned on i thought you know beforehand it was just you know they were playing fine, but it was just super standard. And the wing Bowie really kind of upped the ante for the second set. Um, and I agree with you. I thought it was a cool placement for Wingsuit. I, I don't personally love Wingsuit to close the first set, but I've always I agree with you. I've kind of been waiting for them 
if they're going to be using it in the first set to kind of like set up something larger like a Bowie. Um, and if just going more generally about how they've been using the song, um, I, I also like it in the second set, to be honest with you. I think it works after some, some deep improv. Um, but I, I like the way they, they made that little couplet at the end of the first set. I thought that was a, a, nice, a nice move on their part and something that they hadn't done yet. Nice. Absolutely. I absolutely agree with everything Dave just said 100%. We'll leave it, we'll leave it I, at that. I, first time I, for everything. Cool. Um, so let's first listen to the um, Down With Disease clip that you picked, Dave, um, and uh, chat about it. Sounds good.
right, so that was the that little clip from Down with Disease. Um, Dave, this is the one that you you wanted to listen to. Uh, yeah. Tell us why. Well, I thought it was a really great example of a 2014 jam. Um, I thought it was like a, a whole group jam without any one of the band members like fully being out in front. However, I thought Trey was doing a great job with like very commanding and directional playing, kind of like leading the band without taking solos, um, you know, within that group context, which is what, what they've really been working on uh, so diligently. And uh, I really just love his tone in that jam. And I guess as we were chatting here, Andy was saying, and I'll let him break it down technically, but the combo of his amps and whatever, his rig that he was using here was not exact, or hasn't been used since 1.0, and that just has such a vintage sound to me, his playing mm -hmm. in, that, in that jam, it was like, it, it, it just like, you know, brought me back, really, it was amazing, it doesn't sound like a 3.0 tray jam. Yeah, it was like, uh, it was like, someone was lifting a weight off, off my shoulders when I was listening to it, it's just like, f floating freely. Andy, give us the details about that rig. Yeah, I mean that 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 really is the classic uh, from from at least I mean the late '90s. Um, well, I, I, I guess he, he'd say okay. So he went to the Bogner amp summer 2013, or I guess it was New Year's 2012 was the first time we saw that Bogner amp come out, and that was the first amp. Um, I mean, he had been playing that Mesa uh, Mark III Red Stripe head forever. That one that he had you know that he that he got when they first started like you know he talks about it in his gear video um mm -hmm. but he's had that amp i mean he has like a couple models of it he has backups and stuff like that but i mean that's what it's a mesa mark three um which is a uh an older amp it's from the it's from the uh probably early 90s um and then he's got his his cabinets um his original cabinets that uh paul languidoc built that they were recovered in black and so he's running that through the Mesa combo again, but now he's got, the last time he ran the Mesa through the, um, the Languidoc cabinets was before, you know, just in 3.0 in general, he's been playing it with that Asadoc guitar, but as you remember, he went back to the older Languidoc um, and then kind of stuck with it. And when he, when he stuck with that, um, that older Languidoc, now he finally has combined it back again with the original amp. So he kind of like snuck it in there. It's, it was kind of yeah. like electrifying to see and and hear as well. Like um, look up there on the stage and just, I mean, it was like, it really was, is one of my favorite tray tones of all time. And I, I, I think going back to the gym set from um, New Year's, you know, look at Fishman's pared down drum kit, look at Trey's rig. Um, this, that was that was pretty much Trey's original rig with with it with a newer guitar with a Koa guitar. So I mean, you're really looking at more of a vintage sound and the jams. They're really um, you know to say that the instrument that the person's playing doesn't affect the, what they're playing is is obviously very false. If you listen to the gym set, they play differently because they're on the original instruments. Mike on the dragon bass, um, but you, a musician's going to play differently on a different instrument. And the instrument almost tells you how to play it. And so we're getting, you know, all that back from the, the original horse's mouth from way back when. I mean, it's with plus everything Trey's learned since then. And I mean, you know, on top of them playing unbelievable, I mean, that was another thing that was going on sort of below the surface. So are you saying, was that rig the same on Friday and Sunday too? Um, yeah, as far as I know, he used the Mesa okay. um, all three nights. I never noticed the Bogner up there. If he had it, it's possible that he could have had it the first night, but I don't think he did. Um, based on what we were listening to um, earlier, the simple, I think it, I think he had that vintage tone right from the start. 
Um, yeah. I'm, I'm almost positive of that. He definitely did by Saturday and Sunday, though. Yeah, it's just a great example of like a different type of leadership by Trey. I mean, you look at the simple and how he was playing in that. It's very different than the disease, but you know, equally as effective in developing the jam, which is kind of not to beat a dead horse, what I felt was kind of missing in the back half of summer was that development from Trey's leadership. And I feel like, you know, he did it in different ways over Dick's weekend. And uh, it was just really great to see. Yeah, that's true. And you could you could kind of see it building in the summer, but it finally, right, you could finally see it come together, I guess, is what we've yeah. said a hundred times. But, yeah. Um, no, this just kind of came together. So do you guys think that um, just as a general matter, like, does the does the changing of the equipment influence the direction of the music or vice versa? Like how do how do they decide? Like how did he decide to go back to this other amp or, or this other rig or or I mean obviously we don't know the answer, but I'm just saying like it's interesting that the sounds change so much, not just of the tone, but also the how the jams work and how you know, how that all comes together. That's a type yeah. two question right there. <laughs> Andy Trey's, Greenberg is the right person to answer it. Trey's always been uh, one to tweak around with his rig, and I mean that's one thing that I've always loved about him, and I think a lot of a lot of us love about him, and may not even realize what's going on because he, it happens so quickly. I mean, he not only tweaks it when he's not playing, changing changing pedals around, changing amps around, and even guitars, but he's also constantly tweaking with things while he's playing. I mean, watch his hand with his volume knob and and tone knob when he, he's always you know, um, listening, which leads me to your second question, is that when you're playing an instrument, you're making a sound, and when your band uh, mates are playing an instrument, they're making a sound, and when you're listening to that sound and you're responding to that sound, you are then reacting to the sound that that instrument makes as a conduit of that person, and therefore the, the actual music that you hear created by that is going to be different because it's, it's literally a different instrument. Even though it's the same person, that same person with a different instrument, plays different sounds different feels different to them and uh and i think the jams probably felt different to them too and and that's a lot of what we were hearing like it's definitely a very interactive process and i guess they they the same thing happens between the um between tours too right like they they just you know get i don't know they start playing around with stuff they start thinking about it they talk to their guitar wizard people or whatever and they just yeah you know i'm off they have to i'm off probably just uh well i mean trey was like recording this his tab album and he was using the um that uh, i think it was a jaguar or mustang with a whammy bar and then he comes back and he starts using the whammy pedal you know what i mean so there's a bleed over from tab I mean, there's tons of bleed overs with mike from um mike and with Paige from vita blue and from fishman uh or on fishman from everything he's doing so it it, it definitely happens i think more in the off season they probably don't want to tweak stuff when they're when they're traveling around a lot because um, you know their their guys just loaded up and then they get out and loaded loaded back again. So messing with stuff is a little bit riskier, I think, when they're in when they're on tour. But I have seen them do it for sure. Right on, awesome. Good point, um, Dave. Should we listen to this um, Karini segment? Yeah, man, I'd love this segment. It's like one of my. It's probably my favorite couple minutes from the weekend, even though it wasn't like you know a profound group excursion. Um, um, just just talking about you know the trend of this of this stand was like the revitalization of Trey and like this just speaks for itself. Awesome. Yeah, I mean Trey rips the doors off this Karini before we even get to the four minute mark. It it, it just <laughs> felt like he was like, hey, this is a Saturday night rock show. My ego is flying. I am playing as confidently as I have in forever. 
And uh, to be able to go from that rock show vibe back into the, you know, the Blissey victory chords that Paige and Trey just walk on. I mean, Karini just showcases all my favorite aspects of fish jamming in 2014. This is another fine example. classic fucking Trey peak that like hasn't seen the light of day in so long <laughs> it's just like spine tingling to just hear it through your speakers through my speakers like yeah. rumbling kind of halfway it still fucking yeah. gets me off man yep. that's just uh, 
that's a special that's a special moment that's like one of those moments where like the whole show just like elevates to like a whole nother level mm -hmm. you know like that that type of shit doesn't happen all the time yep right i don't know Expl yeah fireworks were coming out of my brain at this point in the show <laughs> it was just uh i don't know what to say the start you know the start stop jamming was was super cool and then like i felt like we, we trolled the band a little bit by not wooing you know, we're keeping the woos and twist, which is good these days. And uh, I think Trey's kind of trolling Zach there. But anyways, uh, <laughs> I, I thought light was uh, one of my highlights of the night. Like, we weren't ready to ride down yet with, like, a slower tune and Saturday Night Rock Show. Yeah, yeah awesome. I mean, it was uh, – that, that, that definitely was uh, – to me, it reminded me of uh, – one of those classic uh, late 90s kinds of peaks where it's just like everybody is, and it was amazing that it followed down with disease to me because it seemed like a very classic kind of down with disease peak um, that, that, that they put there. And, and I think that that speaks to the, uh, the fluidity of, of the kinds of sets that they're composing right now um, on the spot. But man, I, I, yeah, I mean, like, like we all feel it's like, when you hear that kind of shit these days and through their through their modern equipment through the modern speakers and sound systems and, and even just in our modern brains and bodies right now i mean it, it, it's absolutely overwhelming i mean that's pretty much as good as it gets and and, it, and it's not like it ends there or anything but i mean it's just I, absolutely peak sure. so um dave you um selected another segment from <laughs> from saturday yeah, night I, Saturday night show I thought was really was like one of those examples where the band uh, was just locked and loaded, you know, like firing yeah. on all cylinders. You can throw all the cliches out there. They were fucking. It was it was on on Saturday night, you know. It was that yeah. was the night for me at least, you know. That's I think it's great. I See, think it's great. It's also it's interesting because people talk about Saturday night being you know. Um, off night, like I don't know, Saturday Merryweather. It was a little crowded. Like there, I've been to Saturday nights where I felt the like, just the 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 crush of the crowd and the the you know the music isn't quite as good. But I don't know. This was definitely an exception to me. I agree with you. Saturday nights historically like have been you know more more commercial based fish, if you will. You know the the weekend crowds come in, they play their hits. It's like they play one or two jams. I'm talking like you know trends throughout many years but yeah i thought this was a certainly the exception to saturday nights but some of the saturday nights this summer were actually pretty good they weren't sundays but you know <laughs> yeah and um you know saturday night first set was even kind of you know we we went with some friends who this is the only show they've seen for a while yeah and they really enjoyed the first set saturday night and, and you know they know what they're doing they pleased you know they pleased those people but the second set really took us off and and um if all of all of us enjoyed it and can agree on it, then it, I think it was, must have been really good, right? Brad, can I say yeah, one thing about the first set? Uh, um, so Brad, as Brad mentioned, we were with friends who had, it was their first show of um, the year and the first time seeing a lot of these new songs and seeing um, you know seeing their reactions to you know five fifty five even I mean mostly five fifty five and um, and the wingsuit but also even Yarmouth Road and Devotion to a Dream it's just cool to be with people you know when it's their first time even hearing these songs at all um, pretty fun which obviously it's all about your own you know experience and this first set was like it was entertaining for Brad and I for that reason for sure yep 
So let's let's go into the light unless anybody else has anything before. Let's let's well no let's let's wait until after let's chat about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was right. the seeds that uh, that preceded. I mean, the uh, what's the use that preceded that Carini yes. too was was freaking amazing. Like, I mean, I, I don't want to just skip right over that completely because the fact that they played that right then and that, that I mean, really, if I could have picked one song to go right there, I mean, that was it. They started teasing it and uh, down with disease, and it was just like, man, like that was. It was such a such a classic kind of night, um, and and that that um, that hearing again that 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 '90s kind of sound, uh, late '90s kind of sound with this tune, uh, man, mind blowing. Well, I'll have yeah, to say right, that RJ, like, go ahead, go ahead. It was like the 15 minute mark towards the end of that disease. Like you could hear him starting to tease it. You could hear Trey calling it a little bit, and yeah. you hear the reaction from the crowd. Like, yeah. Oh, you know, and I know, like in our circle of friends, and a lot of you that were there with me Saturday night. I mean, people were like, "You heard the what's the use tease, right? Yeah, you think yeah. they'll do it? Yeah. No, no." And then they did, and it's an alien fucking invasion. Like, what? I don't know what else to say yeah. about what's the use. Oh Aliens. man, yeah, man. I, RJ and I were not super excited to hear the disease <laughs> uh, opener. You know, like when it started, we're like, "Oh man, like you know, whatever." I heard it never before open a second disease. set. Yeah. <laughs> so and then and then the jam was amazing and it went into what's the use and I was like oh what am I doing complaining Jesus Christ yeah it's like they were saying what's the use to like everybody that was thinking like that at that moment I mean I right. kind of like, I, I felt like this collective kind of thing like what's the use of trying to say are they going to go into it what's the use of and then Mike latched on to the uh, to that to that riff. And uh, mm. and it's just like okay, it's on. I, who knows? If they they may have just came out of nowhere, man. I don't I don't know. I mean, it probably did. Play it once every eighty-three shows. Nice. Awesome. And 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 they've teased it before, though, right? I mean, we've heard teases recently. Um, I can't think of them off the top of my head, but I know I have. But they haven't gone into it, so you could hear the tease and be like, man, eh, they're not going to do it. But and plus, Saturday show, it's not exactly a, a, a popular tune, you know. A well-known hit, so yeah. kind of they kind of gave it to us all. So anyway, yeah. let's listen to this light clip. It's a couple minutes of of just wonderful, wonderful grooves. So um, see you on the other side of it.
that was like the fallout from that like nuclear explosion in Karini. Like, <laughs> Trey just kind of like just kept the momentum going. And I, as I was listening there, I think I counted like three or four different like really creative uses of tone. And once again, like I keep coming back to like his tone, which is something I don't usually obsess over that much, but it was just so vintage and so, so spot on this weekend. And uh, yeah, just, um, I just picked that clip out earlier as just like, you know, another example of how Trey stepped up this weekend. Like if you listen to, you know, a lot of light jams from earlier this summer, he, he he's not as upfront and forceful and, um, you know, to varying degrees of success, but, uh, I really thought he kind of just like grabbed this one by the reins right up front and just like drove it in this kind of different direction than he's been taking them. And uh, I just thought it was a, another another creative jam from that really really nonstop Saturday night show. Right, I, I especially love that section where Trey takes it to that dissonant place, right, where he's playing like a tone down or two, and it it, it just. He allows like the jam to morph into such a different place when he does that. You know that section that I'm oh, talking about that dissonance yeah. and 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 when he does it all within the time signature of everyone else playing it, that dexterity, those long long ginger fingers. I'm gonna call. <laughs> I mean, it's it's so perfectly highlighted there. I love it. Yeah, it's yeah. Uh, I, I I did notice um when that you're talking about that that section right there, man. That he's. The whole tone scale um, is is something that I, I I it's it's sort of like a litmus for Trey's playing almost like if he if he's feeling really adventurous he'll really go out on that on that limb so to speak and um, I think that that was an example like Dave was saying where he just he really took it by the horns and, and he ran with it like it's a very scary uh, scale to play because it's it's actually out of out of uh, key really so it's like it's dissonant and but like if you can do that. And you can go out like that seamlessly, and you can come back in. I mean, that's like what what the big jazz guys do. And I mean, not to say that that I compare fish to jazz, but I mean, like you know, it's that kind of Coltrane-y kind of thing. That's just like holy shit, man! Like it's experimental. Mm -hmm. It's experimental. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's it's new. For me, nothing from the third night, or sorry, nothing from the second night, like has um, hit me so hard as this bold as love. I was just standing there like overwhelmed with um i don't know joy and and uh, gratitude and i was it was just one of the coolest um moments of my whole weekend so i want to share that with you guys and i think i think everyone else will appreciate it too just a couple minutes
it was like the perfect exclamation point on a on like a fantastic individual performance by Trey, like let alone a also a really spectacular group performance. But uh, really thought that Saturday night show was just like one of his best individual uh, shows of the summer and his first and his first really powerful show since you know the early the early parts of summer but you know start to finish on that one on saturday night like literally like a break through the axis solo is just just really crushing guitar playing i think trey everybody knows trey loves jimmy and playing him so i i don't know he probably chose to play this and it didn't he it shows that he really wanted to and it sounds really really nice made us all feel good at the end um, especially um, rj i think he was crying one other thing I wanted to say is the uh, the meat stick that goes into this bolt <laughs> that goes into this bolt yeah. as love, as it were. Dick's meat stick into bolt as love is five fifty five in length, which I thought was nuts, man. I mean, like, <laughs> it was just like that little that little like couplet at the end of that set, like the meat stick axis couldn't be more bizarre, it and it so was weird. just perfect, you know, yeah. like. At the first, I was like, meat stick? Like, after all that, really? Yeah, but yeah. It, just, it just provided, like, the perfect come down for you to, like, you know, look at your friends, regather yourself, and then he just slayed the axis, and everyone wants to hear that, you know? Right. And it was just, I guess he's thinking of that as it's happening, but it was just, like, for all the times we, we poo-poo his song calls... That was fucking money right there. I feel like that was Paige's song call. I mean, I mean, you he think? really shines in Bold as Love, and then I'm not sure uh, that Paige makes song calls though. You're right. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, you're right. Good point. Good point. Um, no, I thought you know, like the whole the reference to to the you know giving my life to a rainbow like you and all that and Bold as Love and the run the lyrics right the rundown of all the colors and what and what they each mean. I don't know. I, I, I get lost in that. And then I found it a little ironic that there was a double rainbow over the venue uh, the next day. It's like people are it's, that that being is listening or something. I could touch uh, touch something bigger. Nice. <laughs> it usually does. The lyrics, man. I don't know. Is there something about that song? It was. It was the least. Like I wouldn't have predicted that that would be the song where I'd be standing there in like in joyful tears of the weekend. But I yeah. guess that's the reason we keep going back. You know, who knows? That was night two. So let's go on to night three from Dick's eight thirty one fourteen. Got some nice jams to chat about. RJ, I know that you um, a huge fan of Wolfman's, especially this one here, his second set, right? A little funky. First set. Um, first set especially this first set one just listen to it today <laughs> better than the second set one i thought a little bit so it was really good though the whole thing it all came together so anyway argue uh, this wolfman's really caught your ear tell us about it anyway this wolfman's this jam um we're gonna listen to it now and come back and then
All right. So I thought that Wolfman just had something as Dave, as you pointed out, it was just something a little bit, um, a little bit different in the jam. It got, it got a little, it got sort of quiet, um, and and didn't just go into that, you know, sort of funk into the rock finish. But um, you know, something a little bit unique, I thought, in the first set. Zach. Yeah. Sunday night was your birthday, right? I think I read that somewhere. I'm tendering. Sorry. Um, <laughs> <laughs> What was your um, what were your overall takeaways before we get into our final couple of clips for Sunday night? You know, I I thought Sunday was you know a really beautiful show, just kind of end to end. Um, I, obviously, you know, Andy and I were really appreciative of the curtain with opener. Um, I I you know like we like everyone I think, but 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 uh, you know certain of us in particular who put ourselves out there. Um, like a lot of the people on this call right here, you know, you try not to take fish personally. You know, you can't. But then at the same time, you can't not. At a certain point, when you when you make commitments like like Andy and I have, like Dave has for so many years, and you've invested so much of yourself, you know, fish uh, every once in a while just transcends that 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 blood brain barrier between is this about me? And um, I unabashedly felt. Um, that the curtain with was really a, a, a pay on to to some of the stuff that that Andy and I have done and and some of the stuff I've done um, lately. Um, coming to Denver, upending my life, building something within the fish community. Not only you know it started with a, a creative writing project, grew into a more of like a living art project, and is now you know seen me personally move to Denver and start a new business with some of the people from tour, um, you know, I felt that, that, that Sunday show was really, um, I wasn't going to not like it. There was just zero chance. Uh, so I'm probably biased that I, I, it's a birthday show. I was with all of my friends, every single person that I could ever want to be around for a birth, for, for, for a fish show in, in the best venue, in the best city, in a place that fish just absolutely loves. It was just like, you know, kind of perfect storm. Um, you know, looking at, Sunday's um, looking at Sunday's um, show. Uh, let me just pull up the set list real quick. Um, the the curtain with almost fourteen minutes. Um, beautiful solo. I thought I thought it was actually a little clunky early on. The wombat was a, a great jam. To see wombat and tube in the same set um, was really f- fantastic. Um, and, and I think obviously the Wolfman's again. That vin- it just was this. It, it may have been with like Europe '97 or Fall '97, or um, it almost sounded like Slipstitch and Pass to me. But that's how kind of tight and spacious it was, and it wasn't just the same old Wolfman. I mean, Wolfman's is always really good. They just they own the song. They have you know for a long time, maybe, maybe since anyway. Um, but uh, um, you know, uh, and and then the, the 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 possum closer. I mean, I was really stunned at the possum it doesn't necessarily hold up that much on re-listening but in the moment i just felt the possum was all sorts of experimental and loose and they were really letting it breathe and 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 definitely bodes well i think for fall not necessarily for possum like oh we're gonna get some big possum in the fall that i don't think that necessarily but i i think when when you take a chance with like an ordinarily safe pretty safe song that you just tend to slay and kind of a joke in the community um we got our 831 chalk dust um, very good, not necessarily up to the same standards that Chalk Dust has been this summer or of late in general, um, but I think a, a, a just fine entrant. Um, 
And and I'll tell you this. I'll tell you one thing from Sunday that 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 uh, that really sums up my experience. When Tweezer dropped, um, and by the way, it should be noted that Chopped Us, Twist, Wedge, Tweezer, Sand, Piper, Joy is one basically hour-long segment. Now it's not like the Randall's hour-long segment um, no. or some of the other long excursions that we've seen. But uh, when Tweezer dropped, I was at the back of the floor, and by the time Sand ended. I had danced my way without any knowledge of it to page side by the rail on the wings. So I had basically danced through like 8,000 people. I didn't touch a single human being. It was just one of those like glidey, graceful, it was just a nonstop thing. And I looked up like in the middle of sand and I was like 10 feet from page and I'm like, what the fuck just happened? Um, so, you know, that's that's my review of Sunday. Awesome. Well, let's get into um, a couple of the, the tracks. Um, Zach and Andy, we had the pleasure of listening to these tracks after the show um, into the next day, um, which was really <laughs> awesome. And um, the first one is just, uh, man, they're both amazing. But let's get into this um, this sand first, and then we'll we'll do the mics to wrap it up.
Andy. The, yes. The sand, the sand jam is one of the first things you mentioned when we started putting this together. Talk about why. Yeah. Man, um, well, I've, I mean, you guys probably already know just from talking to me that I'm, I'm a huge fan of anything that's abstract. And generally, the more abstract it is, the more I tend to like it. Like, I really love this SPAC uh, night one limb by limb um, kind of yes. vibe. And really just that, that 90, 95 late 94 to 95 uh, period. But that right there, uh, to me, it was like they, they first of all, they, they kind of melted the walls by going straight back into Tweezer there, although it was at a faster tempo. So it was like, you know, why you're in the middle of a jam right now out of sand, and, like, why, why would you just go ahead and start playing the Tweezer riff? It's just a weird thing to do, first of all. And, like, at the time, it was just like, yeah, okay, cool. They made a statement that they're going to be, like, uh, you know, kind of, all over the place and then uh quickly they go into this plinko thing there and um and then uh and it and it kind of starts out a little bit conventional but then trey like he basically just starts using his guitar more percussive and everything's percussive and it's this sort of skeletal um abstract abstract like it almost seems like a like a futuristic tribal kind of like almost like alien even and and then uh after all that is it's going on for a while which is pretty unbelievable to behold Trey starts to drop these, uh, you know, with this whammy, like the siren kind of thing. And obviously he's not looping it over and over and over. But the way that it sounds, even on a second listen, the, the tones that he's getting from it now are just way more, way richer and uh, more science fiction-y sounding. And <laughs> I just was going to say, you know, while, we, while I was going on that tangent about what I was personally doing, um, you know, uh, someone in the chat said something like, who gives a shit? And they were joking, but I think actually it made, it made a bigger point, which is that Sunday, Sunday second set was completely danceable, like through and through. And Andy and I are something, sometimes Andy and I notice this, that like sometimes shows just are complete funk fests or just, they, it's like they want to keep you dancing. And I think on a Sunday night when like you're tired, but you're still enthused and you, you got all your drugs left in your system because you're leaving tomorrow and yada 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 like I think it's a great choice and Andy and I always talked about this in terms of Tahoe 1 the first night of Tahoe last year which was like a complete dance-a-thon from top to bottom it was just like we're just going to keep you dancing and that's something that like I, I notice it maybe it's because I you know dance is really important to me it shows as it is for so many people but that you know you get a you get a big you get a nice chalk dust and then you get this longer segment with tweezer sand, tweezer, you know, even wedge. And then and then you get this big late set commitment of the mics. And I know you guys are going to talk the shit out of the mics, but I I just feel like when when they when they when they play a show where you're intended to just keep really grinding. I mean, tweezer and sand is as groovy as it gets. That like frankly there's a feeling you leave with like I really moved tonight. I really got going and you know, I don't think necessarily Sunday had the depth of jamming that Saturday night did. I think, you know, for, it, it, there'd, there'd be nothing wrong with saying Saturday night was a better show or that it was, you know, more intense. Certainly the light and Carini will fucking take you there hard. Um, uh, but I think there's some, I think it was a really just a great choice by Fish. I don't, whether it was conscious or not, I, I don't really care anymore. Um, but, but hey, we're just going to keep you moving into the sunset kind of thing. And and that's all you're going to remember Monday morning is you, you moved all night Sunday. So that's yep. that's how I left, and I think that's a a really great choice that they made uh, or didn't make and just had made for them. 
That's it. Nice. Sundays were special this tour. I mean, never miss the Sunday show. So cliche, but holy shit, they delivered on every Sunday a tour, especially when there was a night in that town preceding it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're, they're, you're right that Sundays are special shows. Like we saw Randall's, we saw MPP too, we saw um, a Sunday night in Chicago, um, and then Alpharetta. Uh, they're 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 special in different ways. MPP was special because it was like a vintage tweezer-thon, right? Um, Alpharetta 3, or Ch- Randall's 3 was special because it was like the best improvisation of the, of the summer and just like hometown show, complete comfort. Randall's worked out great. The, the band was crushing it and had warmed up from the first, start of, first part of tour. Like Alpharetta, the third night Sunday, was, was to me a very like spiritual, nostalgic um, show. And and Sunday night in Dicks was just fucking dance. Like that's what that's what we did all summer anyway. Anyway, I'm wrong. I don't care. I love y'all. Have a great night. We're all cool. Um, and uh, and Andy's gay. <laughs> Thanks, Zach. Thanks, uh, Zach. Bye, buddy. See you on fall Have tour. fun. Good luck with Tinder. Have fun, buddy. Yeah. yeah. Go chase it. Chase it down. Um, all Catch right. Let's, let's play this, mics. Um, I like dancing Andy. too, Zach. Just just FYI, I also enjoy dancing at concerts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I just stand there. <laughs> I actually only dance on Sundays. Hold on a sec. <laughs> that's right here, guys. That's that's gold, Brad. <laughs>
So that was at Mike's from Sunday night. Um, I think we all agree that the tweezer sand and then this, I mean, just really stands out. Andy, um, along with that sand, you, you also mentioned the Mike song, this Mike song, when we first started talking about doing the show. So uh, give us your thoughts. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, like, well, it, it kind of going with back of what Zach said, I agree. It was definitely that, like they were making a declaration that it was going to be just a crazy dance party. And, and there was a certain mm-hmm. vibe to, uh, to the sand jam that we just listened to and really this mics, which is sort of like from Trey um, and really the rest of the band, it's a very rhythmic um, experiment. And um, there's not really a whole lot going on in terms of m- melodically. Most of the melodies are coming from Mike actually. And I mean, mm-hmm. it's kind of, kind of going along there, but um, there there's that and it's very rhythmic and it, it kind of reminded me a little bit of the big cypress big uh big cypress mics which which is one of my favorites um that i that i ever actually saw and um it uh it had this it had this vibe that uh it was it was kind of reminded me of um of light from new year's this past year that it sort of just seemed very like and it probably had a lot to do with that echo place kind of seemed like very very fresh like the, the most cutting edge kind of thing that they could get to um almost like a, a peak on top of on, on on top of all these other peaks that they had reached during twist and wedge and all these other things but it seemed like a really high place that they could just maintain pretty much forever if they wanted to and yeah. it would never really get old for us or for them and i think everybody was just so happy in that moment that it was uh it was really for me that was that was the the biggest uh well, I mean, you know, I mean, it just kept getting better. Then they played Sneaking Sally through the Alley. I mean, you know, yeah. it's like, what what else could they go into right there that would be any more of a declaration that that this shit is not over? You know what I mean? Like, it's it's, it's just a huge, not. huge dance party. Yeah, right, Dave. What I know that you've got some. I mean, it kind of goes back to your your thoughts on simple, but um, yeah, I, I know just, you've got some good thoughts about it. Yeah, I, I love this, Mike's man. As I was just saying in the little typing chat, um, you know, this is really like the first version in six years of what was once one of their preeminent jam vehicles that actually the band tried to create something other than just like a straightforward build to the to the final chord, you know, and. I was a huge Mike's fan in the 90s. Like, everyone, I mean, I like Mike's as much as I like Tweezer back then. That shit was the fucking jump off, you know? And so the fact that Mike's has just been this really composed seven-minute guitar solo for the last six years, you know, probably about three years ago I accepted it and just, like, forgot about it. But, like, you know, it's a, it's a huge hit to their to their repertoire, I feel. And so I feel like if they're awakening this jam again, which... You know, honestly, it's historically one of their hugest jams. I think uh, if this was a hint about maybe what might happen with it in the fall, I think that could be... I'm really excited to see what happens when they play Mike's this fall, and I haven't been really excited to hear Mike's in God knows how long. So, you know, it's like... that. It was just, it was just refreshing. It was very refreshing. Yeah, th- those, are, those are great points, and... Um... Uh, one of the things that I really took from the whole second set, I guess, was just Mike, and, and um, you know, he he was he was outstanding Friday and Saturday, but Sunday second set, I thought he just like stood out. You could hear him. He he was like laying that carpet for you to dance on the whole time, you know. And and, and the whole floor was just I've never seen such a big bunch of goofy white people like grooving away, <laughs> you know. It was such a great Sunday second set. So, um, Jim, what what's your thoughts? Yeah, I mean that was hands down the most enjoyable 
kind of dance party I've had in a while. Um, yeah. The best, the, me- the best Mike's groove I've, I've seen in 10 plus years. And uh, I, it was just like, wow, they can really cover all aspects of their game and all, you know, points in their career that, as Dave was calling it, that crystallization point, man, like th- that's proof point number one to me right there, the way they finish yeah, um, So let's go into the biggest takeaways from the weekend. Um, just a little snippet of, of what you thought of all three nights and what you took away from it on, on Monday morning. Uh, Dave, you're first on the list, so go ahead. Okay, well, I think we definitely talked about, you know, Trey enough. And so what I'd like to kind of touch on here is like, um, you know, I really thought like the two halves of summer came together in these shows, which is, you know, kind of makes the second half of summer worth it in my eyes because it definitely seemed to me like after Chicago that they stopped focusing on the depth of jamming and they continued focusing on, or they started to focus on like their um, their mobility in the set or their fluidity rather in the set and you know I think that kind of like shown quite a bit on the second half of tour um, and you know they didn't they don't usually do things to the exclusiveness of one another as much as they did this summer but you know what for whatever it's worth I feel like those two halves really came together and they played some really fucking fluid shows with some really deep jams and uh, you know start to finish second sets without fizzling or having random songs placed in the middle and which is really what is the most important part of a fish show I feel is really that that flow you know and so you know, if if they experience maybe a little bit of growing pains in the second part of summer, I think you know if this is the ending point, like moving to fall, and we're looking at these very complete shows, um, then it's all it's all well worth it to me. I thought this was a a great bridge to fall, and hopefully a preview of what we're going to be seeing. That would be really nice if it were right. I mean, it, I, I think I agree with what you said, but let's hear from Andy to. to it is takeaway, Andy. What's your uh, um, snippet from the weekend? Yeah, I, I think I mean I tend to look at it um, definitely in uh, relationship to the summer tours. Like, what does it say, um, or how does it how does it relate to summer tour? And um, I think that they did an excellent job of of taking um, what they started with. Um, you know, that Harry Hood jam. I guess with, I would say was the big thing at the start of the summer uh, that that hit me. It was just like, wow, okay. And, you know, I mean, opening up that second set with Mike's song and then Simple um, is it. I think that this is kind of a year for them to introduce the new songs. And towards the end there, um, I think it, it actually became a little bit difficult for them to infuse the new songs in uh, properly with all the jamming and the set flow. And, I mean, you know, it is a very difficult thing to do. Take all these songs that you've been playing for so long and put them together. They found that some older songs that um, they used to not work quite as well with maybe some of the songs that they played more in 2013 or 2012. Um, you know, they, some songs that they, they played more than didn't work as well now, and some songs that they didn't used to play as much work better. And I think Dix was really sort of a crystallization of, um, a flow and really harnessing the power of, of all those new songs. We didn't necessarily hear the best version of each of those new songs, but I think from a functional perspective, we probably heard some of the best versions for sure of those songs. And I think that, that that's that's a lot of the way that they learn um, is uh, 
is 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 by by trying things and you you know with this kind of thing that they do it's you're gonna have you're gonna have downs you kind of have to and the, the higher your highs uh the lower your lows are and um and i think that this was a big swing back up um not to say that that i think the second half of tour was really a swing down because it, to me it's not quite that linear it's just more of a like Things change, and I mean, don't get me wrong. Wherever I am, and, and when Fish is playing, I love it more than anything else in the world. But, um, but if you're looking at it from a critical perspective, then you you identify, you identify what your criteria is that you're looking for, and if it's there, then great. And if it's not, but like I think that for what they are trying to do, and 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 probably from what we all want them to do um, at Dick's, I think they really hit a home run, um, both in their in their their side and our side. And um and that was just man I mean it was it was awesome it was it was for me the uh, probably the strongest you know three night run that I that I've seen in a long time just overall it just it had uh, you know I it I, I can't say that like this show was better than whatever the whole feel of the whole thing is just they were right there man and, and it was great and I I mean fall tour I couldn't be more excited for it because I think they're going to step back a little bit and use the new songs more functionally and they're going to find mm-hmm. out. More uses, uh, definitely. Mike's song, um, as as we were talking about earlier, I think is gonna is gonna start going out. I mean, they've got it. They're they're gonna get old. Uh, or they're gonna feel old and tired playing the same things the same way. And you know, we hear a song like "Bold as Love" and or "Me Stick and Bold as Love," and we're like, ah, that's not. You never would have thunk it, but that that is the beauty of it. That they do something that we wouldn't have thought of, and we're like, yes, that's exactly what I always wanted. But I just they have. <laughs> ahead of us like that and they are right now and that's that's exactly where i like them to be yeah i mean if i could chime in i think Dix was a complete statement all three nights like the entire run just worked so well as a whole and and i think that was part of like a statement they were making right like we should continue to expect this band to progress every year, right? Like, look at 3.0 with maybe the exception of parts of last year. Each year has been a big, a step forward, noticeable, right? And I think 2014 with Dix is the perfect example was this combination of fairly deep improv uh, with like these multi-themed jams that they introduced in years prior. With but what was different was it was within a setlist structure that just grooved, that just flowed so much better than years past and that's that was all encapsulated in dicks this year and uh that's just that's what i took away from the run couldn't be more happy with how they played really well said all all you guys and rj what do you think um interesting like for me this summer um i think we talked about before brad but like um earlier in the summer i was like sort of disoriented listening to the early summer shows because Mm -hmm. i had to like get used to how these new songs fit in and and fit together with the old stuff and it was fun it's like it's why we keep we like it when they had new material because it mixes things up but just to add to what these guys said i mean the the outcome of that experimentation is like the shows like we saw at the end of the summer and that's just it really does i mean i wouldn't expect any of us to say something else on this fish podcast then we're really psyched for fall tour but you know it it's interesting it's been like a fun narrative to follow the summer it's not like they've been just destroying it from start to finish there weren't you know there were there were there are definitely like stories to follow and i'm, I'm looking forward to following into the in the fall me too. Yeah, it's a really good point, and I don't. I mean, I, I know you guys are really wondering what I think, so thanks for asking. But um, what do you think, Brad? I, um, <laughs> How do you feel, Brad? <laughs> um, 
you know, I, I can't articulate it better than you guys did, but I'll tell you that I, I really enjoyed the three day run, seeing everybody and the social aspect of it all. You know, I'm serious. Like it's great and I love it and we all have differing opinions, but the band brought us together in Denver and all three nights were really good. Last last year in Dick's I can't really say that. Like, Chalk Dust Saturday was great, but otherwise, eh, you know, I mean, I loved it. It was fun, but um, I felt all three nights delivered. Um, everybody enjoyed themselves. And as I mentioned earlier, that Sunday night groove funky fest uh, in the second set, like, the whole, I felt the whole floor was grooving. Like, people we came with who don't see fish often, even on Sunday night, in the second set, we're like, Jesus, this is like a dance party, you know? And it's true. It was really, it was really, really fun. Um, and, and the culmination of the summer into such a little, little nice little sweet package of the three days of dicks was, was really great. And Jim, you had a nice little party. Thanks for having us over too. So yeah, thank you. Um, nice, Jim. <laughs> Good times guys. Um, so awesome. Thank you guys so much for taking the time. I know it's a Tuesday night and all that. So, um, we appreciate you. And uh, we're hopefully see you guys out in the in the fall tour this on the West Coast where I am. So it's finally somewhere accessible, I'll, I'll, more accessible for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll so see you guys on the road. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, awesome. So yeah, thanks for having me, man. We have um, just to recap. Jim is at Fly Fishing BH. Um, Andy Andy Greenberg is at Andy underscore Greenberg. Dave is at Mister Minor. Brad and I are at hf pod um thanks guys so much for for joining us it was awesome awesome so as always please you guys hit us up on uh itunes we're at the helping friendly podcast a quick review um will really help us out on there and then also hit us up on twitter and email you know the twitter it's hf pod and emails helping friendly podcast at gmail.com comments questions always welcome and uh cash or trade dot org is uh where we recommend you go we go there it's a great place for tickets of all kinds um rj and i both used it so it's a great place yeah i exchanged a ton of dicks tickets on there this um this past month it's just it's so easy and simple um and, yep. and always good people you know it's like right you don't even really need the reviews because you're just assuming like everyone on there is is cool you know which is nice <laughs> yeah Cool, Brad. So I guess we'll be back with another episode in a couple of weeks in between. Um, in yeah. between uh, so we'll come back fall. with the show, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, we have a list. We have a long list of people who, who would like mm-hmm. to join us. And we would encourage everyone, if they'd like to join us, please let us know. But just know that our queue is, is long. <laughs> queue. Smart. Like our Like our hearts are large, right? Um, I think so. I guess it makes. I guess that makes sense. <laughs> All right, man. Cool. Let's let's send them off. Yeah, it was fun as always. Thanks for listening. Thanks for tuning in, or I, I guess tuning in, downloading. Yeah. Maybe. Who knows? Maybe they did, they could have downloaded us, or I mean, tuned us in on Stitcher. Oh yeah, Stitcher. We're still on Stitcher. Yep. We have been kicked off that, so check us out there. <laughs> um, and hopefully we got to see you at Dicks, and if not, um find us on fall tour we're gonna probably be covering most of the shows between the two of us so yeah it's awesome hopefully we can cover some more between both of us or whatever however you say that all right um everyone keep on rocking thank you for listening
I'm Daniela Clark. I'm Barbara Ann Wild. And we are the Honest AF Show. Our podcast is real, honest conversation with our celebrity friends and pros. Covering our anything but average rock and roll lifestyles. All while tackling the hell that is aging and the battle of beauty. Oh yeah, nothing is off the table. The Honest AF Show is available wherever you get your podcasts. Yes, welcome everyone. I'm Hal Schwartz. And I'm Flynn McClain. Together we host None But the Brave, a podcast dedicated to the music and career of Bruce Springsteen. Bruce and E Street Band are on tour right now for the first time in six years, and we're taking a detailed look at what's happening on stage in our bi-weekly episodes. We've also been recently joined by some very exciting guests, including rock journalist Warren Zanes and Stephen Hyden, Backstreet's Magazine founder Charles Cross, and Barstool's Kirk Menahan. If you're a diehard Springsteen fan, this is the show for you. So please subscribe to Nimba the Brave on your favorite podcasting platform, and we hope to see you further on up the road. Thank you so much! We'll be seeing you!